in three, two, one. Becoming the preferred choice is the goal of any organization that sells something. In today's congested marketplace, it's important to create strategies and messaging to attract your ideal customers and leverage change to create unique competitive advantages that make you the clear choice. If you're looking to disrupt your market and become the emotional favorite, then you're going to enjoy my conversation with author, speaker, and marketing guru, Jerry O'Brien. Well, hey, Jerry, welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Now, where are we speaking to you from today? I live in Denver, Colorado. Good old Denver. It's a beautiful city. I'm talking to you from Calgary, Alberta. It's, it's almost a sister city to Denver. So Straight up the mountains. Yeah, right up the mountain range. Can't go wrong when we have a similar weather system. You actually have four seasons. We just have two. We have cold and colder. You actually have four of them, so it works. Hey, I'm really delighted to have you. We're here to talk about your new book called They Buy Your Because, which I've had a chance to read. Excellent book. Lots of meat and potatoes in there and things that people can apply. And we're going to get into it. I found that you had a very interesting background. You've worked corporate. You were corporate executive with Coors, with Red Robin. You started your career with P&G. How did a corporate guy, you came out of business school. Where did you discover the because and just your framework, if you want to develop that? And what led you to the development of that? Yeah. So I was in corporate America for years and it wasn't always a culturally perfect fit. Since I was young, I'd always liked being in front of audiences. I liked that sort of performance part of it. When I was a marketing guy and I would speak to the sales team, they were like, that guy's awesome. So I wasn't so good at the doing part of corporate America, all the stuff that you had to do and the politicking and all this stuff, but I was good at the getting people to buy things, right? And so as I progressed through corporate America, I finally was like, if I could help business owners outside of billion dollar brands do what these billion dollar companies know how to do, all business owners could be more successful of every size. So I finally left corporate America and I said, I'm going to teach all business owners of all kinds, the strategies used by billion dollar brands to close sales, to stand out in crowded markets regardless of your budget, everyone says, oh, they have a lot of budget. That's why they're successful. No, it's because they understand their customers better and they understand how to create messaging and innovations that stand out of the sea of sameness of all the other competing products out there. Do they have to have budgets for focus groups? Because usually they have great resources to bear, but I've worked with some pretty big brands and it's actually surprising how small the marketing departments actually are. They do a lot of outsourcing for that uh, key information. That's for sure. First of all, I started out in the beer industry at Coors. Coors. There were, in the total $4 billion Coors Brewing Company with 12 different brands, we had, say, 40, 50 people in the marketing department. We had a 1,000 people that worked at the agency that worked for Coors, right? So it gives you a sense of how small the marketing departments are, but how big the reach of all the people that ultimately work on the brands that are outside the company, how big they are. But specifically, when you ask about research, about understanding your customers. So my framework that's outlined in the book, as you mentioned, the core part of the framework is four things. Number one, who are you influencing? Number two, what are your insights about them? What do they want more of or less of? What frustrates them? What are they hoping for, right? Number three, what is the promise you make? What is the outcome you promise to them? And number four, what's your because? So you're talking about Number one, who are you influencing? Number two, 
What are your insights? That's the research piece, right? right? What are your insights about them? And when I was at Procter & Gamble, Gamble was famous for focus groups, massive $50,000 surveys, all these very sophisticated ways that we would learn from our customers. And what we ultimately found when I was there, the entire research strategy was shifting to, to deep dive one-on-one interviews with four or five, six, eight customers individually. And what we found is if you did an hour long, a two hour long interview, if you were very prepared with really, really good, powerful probing questions, you could learn more than you could from a $30,000 focus group or a $50,000 large base study. That's important because anyone can do it. All you have to do is go talk to your current clients, talk to your prospects, or the best, go talk to people who you thought you were going to sell to, but who said no to you when they said yes to someone else. Go find out why they chose that other competitor. That is valuable. That's a value bomb right there. So instead of big focus groups and spending large money, go for one-on-one interviews and ask them why they chose you. What was the reasoning? What problem did you solve for them? Because sometimes what we think we're solving isn't always the problem, why that reason is. Oh, that's and, that's absolutely for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. So you're in the marketing department, you're coming up with campaigns, and then you discovered the power of because. So here's what's interesting is that If you really pay attention, when you watch marketing from billion-dollar brands, you will see the strategies I talk about in my book. I have taken the concepts used by billion-dollar brands and distilled it into this framework over 10 years. It includes Nobel laureate work. It includes Harvard research. It includes all these things. In addition to my years as a corporate executive, and I've put it into this framework, that anyone can use, but the foundations of the framework are exactly what billion-dollar brands do that you don't know that they do. So I was looking at what we did, and I was like, other people could do this. The problem is they don't know. So when I decided I want to become a professional speaker, I was like, what could I say that anyone would want to learn from me, that they would want to pay me to stand up on stage and speak? And finally, as I practiced it and learned my way through it, What I learned was that these business owners I started speaking to, they had no idea about the things that we were doing. And I would explain how billion dollar brands did it. And they would be like, well, shoot, we can do that too. I'm like, yes, that's the great well-kept secret is that if you have the insights about what they're doing, you can do it too. So once I figured that out and I practiced it on some CEOs and business owners, that's how the foundation of the framework got started. No, it's interesting how when you work with different marketing departments and you look at most even bigger brands, sometimes not the brands that you've worked with, you see them features and benefits. Websites are all the same features and benefits. And we try and tell people, hey, they're not buying the thing. They're buying what the thing does. That's right. When I buy an iPhone, it looks like an Android. It looks like a Samsung. On a counter, I can't tell which one's mine. But I bought it to be unleashed. I, to me, it's worth $10,000, not you know $1,000. I can be on a river in Europe and having meetings with clients and I don't have to be stuck there. Like, how amazing is that? I'm buying what it accomplishes, what it does, not what it is necessarily, right? And it's figuring out what that because is. Now, there's a study you talk about in your book out of the 70s, Dr. Ellen Langer, and talking about the power of because. And I think that kind of went into the formulation of how you might employ this as a strategy from a marketing point of view. Why don't you tell our listeners how that study went? It's a famous study that people have talked about for decades, right? And Ellen Langer was the first ever female tenured professor at Harvard. She's a sociologist. And she studied how people were influenced to say yes. 
But there's something about the study that most people who have heard of the study, they don't know. So here's how the study goes. She was trying to figure out how we would influence people. So there's a Xerox machine at the library at the university. She would have a student walk up and try to cut in front of the line. There's always a line at the Xerox machine. She'd have a student walk up and try to cut in front of the line by saying different things to see which things were more influential. At first, she had the student walk up and say, excuse me, I have five pages. May I use the Xerox machine? Now, notice there's no reason. It's just a small ask. Five pages, may I cut in line? 60% of the time, they're like, sure. So we're trying to beat 60%, okay? So she says, okay, insert a reason. Insert a because. Like A valid reason. A, reason. a valid reason. So she said, walk up and say this. Excuse me, I have five pages. May I use a Xerox machine because I'm in a rush. So 94% of the time, they let them cut in line. In a rush, great. No problem. Happy to help. Well, she said, I wonder if the specific reason actually matters. She's walk up and try to say this now. Fill a small ask. Excuse me, I have five pages. May I use the Xerox machine because I need to make copies. 93% of the time, they let them cut in line. The question is, why did that happen? It's a dumb reason. It's a nonsensical reason. What she was able to show is that, in fact, our brains are running a script, right? If it's a small ask, our brains are looking for a reason. Any reason will do. It doesn't even matter what your reason is. Here's where it gets really good. Your listeners should be going, Jerry, that's not going to work for my customers. That study opens the New York Times best-selling book ever written on influence. Professor Robert Caldini writes a book called Influence. Five million copies have been sold. The first case study in the book, it opens the book, is that story. And your listeners should be going, Jerry, there is no way, I can't trick my customers into saying yes to me. Like that's not going to work. I can't just say the word because, and all of a sudden they're going to sign the contract. All of a sudden they're going to choose me versus all the other people that look like me. That's just not going to work. All of you who are listening, you would be correct. You are right. It's not going to work. And here's why. What nobody tells you when they talk about that study and what Caldini doesn't tell you in his book, there's a second part to the study. In the second part to the study, they walk up to the copy machine and they make a big ask a whole stack of papers. And this is what we do as business owners. We ask our potential customers, our prospects, we make big asks. We sign big contracts. We sell things that aren't just, hey, I got five pages real, real quick. No, we're taking money from people in exchange for solving their problem. And so what they find in the second part to the study, and this is where it gets good, what she finds when you roll up with a huge stack of papers and try to cut in front of the line, is you can still be influential, but your because makes all the difference. <laughs> if you come up with something nonsensical or weak, nobody will let you win. If you come up with really, really good, compelling things, people will help you along the way. They'll be like, heck yes. But our problem as business owners is that we are not good at finishing the sentence of influence. We're really good at knowing who we're trying to sell to. We're really good at making a promise to them. Here's what we're going to deliver. We're going to deliver quality. We're going to deliver great service. We're going to solve your problem. We're not good at finishing that sentence with your because. We're better at solving this problem than those other five people. That's because. We've got a higher quality product than any of those people. That's because. And if we don't give you a powerful because, nobody buys from us. We sound like the sea of sameness. We sound like the same as everyone else until we solve the because. So I want your listeners to do this. 
I'm going to give you the first half of a sentence. I want you to write down the first half of the sentence. And then I want you to fill in the second half with the most compelling thing you can write. Here's the first half of the sentence. You should buy from us, insert your company name. You should buy from us versus all those other people because would you fill in after the word because to get customers to buy from you? Write the most compelling words you can think of and then read them and ask yourself this. Could any of your customers have just written the same thing? And if yes, you haven't helped me choose you, you've just made me more confused. So we must figure out what are we going to say after we say the word because. Last time you got a referral, here's what they said. Oh, you got to go down to Jerry's restaurant because... And then they fill in the most compelling thing they can think of about Jerry's restaurant. Otherwise, the competitors are saying it too, as you say, they're going to say the same thing. And this is why we see similar things all the time. Is You see it all the time. And we write this language and we think it's so good until you look at a competitive set and you say, well, geez, they all said kind of the same thing. And your yeah. because is what sets you free from that. Yeah. It's a magic word. When I was 12, I had a gentleman that lived nearby and he was a magician and I was always enthralled by magic. And he took a shining to me and he's, hey, if you want to learn, he was an elderly gentleman. And so he passed on the craft. So it was kind of like Merlin Sr. trying to teach Merlin Jr. One of the things which he spent talking to me about was what we call patter, the words, because part of the magic, if I say look or watch, I call them magic words. So for instance, another magic word would be, I could say, are you an iPhone or an Android guy yourself? Uh, iPhone. Say I want to say an Android. I'm an iPhone guy too, but I want to sell you an Android. And I sit there and go, hey, you should check out Android. And you go, oh, no, no, I'm Apple. We're Apple all the way. Our infrastructure, our yeah. ecosystem, you know, yeah. my whole family, we're all Apple. I'm dead in the water. I can't do yeah. this. But if I said to you, I said, hey, Jerry, how open-minded are you to taking a look at the latest technology by Android that has completely revolutionized the way, and I use the word that way, because it's completely changed the way the game is whatever and use it. It just creates power. Getting your book and your material, I'll give me a couple of examples of where you can also use the word because, you know, airports, we're in airports all the time and traveling, I got to get through the gate sometimes quick and I never check a bag. If I get through and there's a big long lineup, I will go to the front of the lineup and I'll just say, excuse me, folks, would you mind if I cut in front? of you all because my flight's leaving in the next 25 minutes and there's not another one afterwards and I really don't want to spend the night on a bench till tomorrow and you get 100% compliance and so to your point the amygdala as you know sees it first and then goes is this in our database and if it's a reasonable request is what you're talking about if it's reasonable come the request they'll say yes to because for our kids go clean your room it's a fight it's a negotiation you know hey go clean your room because we have company coming over tonight we're going to be showing the house and a simple request, that's it. There's no argument. Oh, okay. Yep. The word's powerful and you've taken it and really run with this thing and use it. Now, say people can create their becauses and there's all kinds of companies who've done it. Matter of fact, in your book, you talk about Papa John's pizza. They have one. Their slogan is, I think it's better ingredients, better pizza. Yep. So better pizza is the outcome, the promise, which is I think your step three or step four, but better ingredients is the because. So we don't have to use the word because all the time, do we? So you make a really good point, which is really important for if you want to implement this strategy of influence in your business, this is really important. The examples you gave of cleaning the room or cutting in line, those are a small ask for anyone. It's like, oh, sure. Right. What's the difference if you cut in front of me? I don't care. I'm like yeah, right here. Anyway. I'm going to make my There's yeah. zero downside, basically, right. for saying yes to you. And by the way, you have a good reason. I'm happy to help. In business, it's a whole different thing. 
because I've got to make a good decision. I've got to make a decision I can justify to someone else. I'm spending real money. I'm going to sign a contract. I'm getting in a relationship with mm. you. These are not a small ask. So when you're using the sort of the trick of because, a small ask, no big deal, happy to help, jump in line, clean your room. When you're using it in business, it becomes a very different strategic influence opportunity, right? So the word in complicated transactions, the word doesn't mean anything. The word is like a placeholder for what is your proof? So the framework is one, who are you influencing? Two, what are your insights about them? What do they care about? What do they want more of, less of? What are their frustrations? What is the problem they're solving? Those insights. Right. Three, promise the outcome that you are going to deliver. And then number four is the proof, your because. Where we always fall down. We're good at making promises. We're bad at giving them the proof. So why am I going to work with you versus this person over here? Oh, that's because what are all the pieces of proof you can insert? So your example that you gave from my book is a good one. Now, this is a tagline. Now, we're not really trying to write taglines here, but it's a good example of the framework. Question number three, what's the outcome? The outcome is better pizza. Papa John's, hey, our pizza's better. Now, okay, listen to this. I want you guys to tune your ears in, okay? My name's Jerry. I'm going to open up a pizza company, and I'm about to give you my marketing, and I want you to listen and see if I've done a good job at compelling you to come into my pizza place. Hey, everybody, come on into Jerry's Pizza. Our pizza's better. It sounds like complete sea of sameness garbage, yeah, right? Yeah. It might even be true that my pizza actually maybe is better, but you don't know that because I haven't given you a because. I haven't given you a piece of proof. That's what Papa John's did. They said, oh, our pizza's better because we've got better ingredients. They got sued by Pizza Hut when they were a little tiny little startup pizza place. $9 billion Pizza Hut sues them, says you can't say your pizza's better. Papa John's wins the lawsuit because they use fresh sliced tomatoes and filtered water and Pizza Hut did not. <laughs> now they've got a because, because the US federal court said that their pizza tastes better than Pizza Hut. They came up with a piece of proof, but look at the framework. What's your outcome? What's your because? If you're only making a promise, better pizza, nobody believes you, nobody trusts you, and nobody buys from you because you haven't given me the proof. If you learn nothing else from this podcast, stop limiting yourself to the promise. You must combine it with your proof. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. Active Campaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Jerry O'Brien. Well, you have a good example, and I want to come to it in a second, but you actually just raised an interesting point. Some light bulbs went out for me. 
In today's world, post-pandemic, you know, in our early selling careers, we would go sell to one individual. I would come and see Jerry and I could come and you could make the decision. Today, it's almost by consensus. There's groups and there's groups of micro commitments. So mm -hmm. what happens is often you're shielded out from seeing those people. I might be talking to Jerry, but I don't get to talk to the real power brokers or the real decision makers. And so it makes sense to arm the person we're talking to with those because statements. It might make sense for us to give them the reasoning and rational and does it make sense to actually educate them to use the word because or is that a little too you know we're catering to them too much there yeah. or is there a way to present those yes all great questions mm -hmm. this what you just said comes up all the time especially in businesses where you don't always get to sell to the end decision maker and this happens all the time I do a lot of work in really crowded competitive markets like HVAC, right? People that go into people's homes and have to sell them new furnaces or whatever. And you'll be dealing with one spouse, but then they got to convince the other spouse about why they should buy from right. you versus everyone. And oh, by the way, why should they buy the moderate price or the high price one versus the other, right? All of this decision-making, right? So in most decisions with businesses I work with, there are lots of people involved in the decision process and many of them you don't get to talk to. So the question is, and this is where that sentence I asked the listeners before, how would you finish the sentence? Oh, you should buy from us because. You talk a lot about relationships and relationships are critical, but what about when the customer doesn't know you yet? And even the new customer, the person who you are talking to, they're like, Michael, you are amazing. You're awesome. But they're also talking to three other Michaels, right? And now they need to go back to the board, the president, the department, the purchasing agent at their company or whatever and say, we got to buy from Michael's company because you don't even need to tell them to say the word because they're going to make a recommendation. The question is, can they repeat what you just said? And is it believable? Did it make me believe that what you do is more valuable and gives me more certainty than the things other people said? And when I repeat it, is it still going to sound good? Yeah, the fact that I like you is great, but what am I going to say on your behalf? So your because, your pieces of proof, not only make it more believable, it makes it more repeatable. And in our world, to your great point, it's critical. And so I've got tons of examples where this happens. So remember the framework is, who are you influencing? Insights, outcome, because. What are your insights about going to a dealership to buy a car? Always my audiences say, oh my gosh, you go in and you got to negotiate. You got to do this whole negotiation on price. And they hate it. Oh my gosh. And then when you start to negotiate, they make you go talk to the manager, right? And then after the manager, then you got to go talk to the finance department. You got to talk to five people before you own the car. Same People process everywhere you go. By the way, across the globe, I did this in the Middle East, same thing. It is, <laughs> it's unbelievable. So I got to negotiate. I got to go to all these people and it takes half a day. It takes hours on end to buy a car. So there's a case study about a car dealership in Denver called Shump BMW. Their commitment, and they started this in 1993, 30 years ago. Come to us and you can buy your car for one price from one person in one hour. They took insight, 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 created a because, because, because they innovated their model. And now they own 10 dealerships in three different states. They're killing it. And when I interviewed the ownership group, I said, how much of your success is because of one price, one person, one hour? And they looked at me and they said, all of it. Now wow. they have amazing dealerships and training and great facility. Yeah. They have all the stuff that you have to have. Their success is because they took away things that people don't like and they gave them things that they do. And now think about it. 
Now, every one of us can refer and repeat, why would you buy from Shop BMW? Because one price, because one person, because one hour. Right. And so what are your becauses? What are the things that you do other people don't do that other people will not do because they're too complicated or hard that other people cannot do because they don't know how? What do you do that others haven't done, can't do, or won't do? that are valuable to your customers. Those are your becauses, those pieces of proof that you're unique in a way that's valuable to me. And so if those become repeatable, you don't even need to worry about the word because, because everyone knows exactly what makes you special and unique. Now to your point, smart car dealerships have started to try to move to this model, but it's not easy. There's a lot of barriers to traditional car dealerships because of gross margins and how they're made in dealerships because of training, because of technology, but especially the profit picture. It takes them about a year to make up the gross profit when you convert to this model and you take away commissions. It's a whole major shift. Smart car mechanics and car, they've done it because they know you give your customers more of what they like, less of what they less don't. Less of what they don't. Well, yeah. and then it makes sense. And then identify those becauses for if you're dealing with an internal champion, give them as many bullets and reasons why that could work that they can relate to. Yes. And give them a visual. I had a client do this and it was the beginning of landing a $20 million contract Mm -hmm. in the middle of this placemat they created. They said, you should, and it was an electrical contractor. You should hire us versus all the other contractors because, and then they had eight nodes coming off the because, and with all the proof points about what they did that was unique and valuable to that client, they ultimately landed a $20 million contract with a placemat as their beginning salvo of, it makes it easier for people to know what to say on your behalf, both verbally and visually. Yeah, no, this is huge. Simon Sinek wrote the book, Start With Why, right? Awesome book. And it makes sense because people do have a why. They start with their why, but mm-hmm. combined with their because, because you know they might be interested and engaged by the why story, but yep. they're actually buying because of what the why does. I'm so glad you brought this up because the number one question that comes from my audience is they go, wait a minute, Jerry, so your because, that's kind of like your why. And it's really important to know the difference. And when I explain it, many times audiences say, that was the number one light bulb moment for me. So here's the difference. Simon Sinek wrote a book, Start With Why. It's the inspiration behind why what you do. And he talks about it in his book. It's basically your mission statement. Remember your mission statement, right? right? It's your mission about why. And it is very inspirational for individuals. Why do we show up at work every day? Why do we put in the extra work and the extra effort? And it can be very inspirational for employees or for employee prospecting. Wonderfully inspirational. And maybe your customers are even inspired by it. But this is important. When it comes to signing the contract, buying the product, forking over the money, putting down the credit card, I might be interested in why you do what you do. But what I'm paying you for is what you do for me and how you do that thing differently or better than everyone else. That is your because. Your why is your inspiration. Your because closes the sale. Your why is inspiring behind what got you motivated. Your because is the proof about what you deliver for me. And both are important, but one of them closes the sale. So it's important to know the difference. Yeah. it's And you say this in your book, your because makes what you say believable 
and repeatable, right? Yeah. So it's interesting is I start to see this application now in so many other areas. We're both professional speakers and we have our gigs around the world. When I get asked or I'm considered, often I'm being considered amongst 15 to 20 other speakers. That's right. And sometimes I'm talking to a committee and the committee wants to interview us. And the first question they come out is, why should we hire you? And I always go, I'm not sure you should. And actually I'm not necessarily a perfect fit for everyone and for most organizations, but in the next 30 to 45 minutes, we're going to find out whether I'm going to be a fit. But before I tell you why you should hire me, I've got one question for you. I like to ask, and then we can go from there. May I ask the question? And they always go, yeah, sure. Go ahead and ask the question. So you're interviewing the attendees after they've left the event. What do you want them saying? What do you want them thinking? What do you want them acting upon? Yep. What do you want them feeling? And they'll tell me we want this one. They'll get very specific. And I'm yes. just writing those things down. And uh -huh. I'm like, that's perfect. And I said, the reason I asked that question is because that's what the goal is of our organization. How we create a successful event is doing this because, and then I'll pick each one. Here's why that's important. Here's how we do it. Here's the next one. We usually get the engagement. Now I kind of hesitate telling everybody this because any other competitors online are going, hey, I think I'm going to try that. But it really does work. And I, I want to say it's 100% successful. It, it isn't, but it's more than 90. Yeah. And it's right. It's up funny there. because those are the same questions I ask in my goal document. When I say I'm prepping for an event, I send them a document. What are your goals? I literally ask, what do you want them to know, think and do or something like that? Same things that you said. It is smart to use it up in the front end, which is gathering insights. Question two, yeah. what are your insights? Now you're gathering, you're having them give you the answers. To no, it's such a simple concept, but elegant. And the results are amazing. Now, you talk about, is there businesses that, it, I know it'll work B2B. I know it can work B2C. Is there any business or situations where this doesn't work or where it works exceptionally well? It's a framework of influence. So not only does it work in any business where you need to influence anyone, because it's not about a specific kind of business. It's about being more influential, right? And so if you're trying to influence a customer, great. What a lot of people are using the framework for now how do you influence employees to work for you? A lot of my clients are like, we got too mm. much business, but we don't have enough people. And so I did a full because session for someone who runs a moving company. This was in the middle of summer, Denver, Colorado, hundred degree heat. Who wants to move big, heavy boxes? Like nobody. How do we attract people that want to do this work? And we came up with what I learned about that business. First of all, one of the things is when I start to work with companies, it turns out they've got tons of becauses. Right. They just didn't know where they were and they're not putting them in the right place at the right time in their sales flow and their sales process. So you can use the framework to influence employees, to influence customers, to influence investors. Nonprofits use it to influence donors, to get donations. Partners, right, children. Yeah, right, right, exactly. <laughs> There's so, a reason, yeah, you bet. The key of the whole thing is to know who are you trying to influence and then you work the framework. So yeah, I can work yeah. with anybody. The second question in your framework is all about the insights. And you already gave one solution on finding insights is maybe interview. What are some other ways we can find insights? Another good one that I always think is funny. I always ask people, how well do you know your competition? And oddly, a lot of people actually don't know their competition that well. You want to get insights about your customers, find out what your competition is out there already saying. Because in theory, probably they've been thinking about insights. Another thing, you can do basic things like you could survey all your past customers. The key thing about finding insights is this is important. Knowing what is it you would like to know? What is it you would like to learn? What do you want to know about them? I've got a, a great thing in my book because I'm a brilliant person at naming things. And I called it my I wish I knew list. 
which is things you wish you knew. Okay. I'm not very good at naming, but here's the things that you wish you knew. And so as you want to go gather insights, whether it's one-on-one or surveys or doing research online, or this is a good one, talking to your frontline employees who deal with your customers every day, day. you know what? They know the insights. You got to first know, what do you wish you knew? What do you wish you had the answers to? What would you do about it if you knew that information? Great questions. So there's lots of ways to get insights. The question is, what are you trying to answer? What are you trying to solve for? Sure. And then you can go out and find out. And your frontline people are like, open the box of information if you're just asking them. One of my favorite strategies on that too is, and I did it in preparation of our interview today, is I go and read your customer reviews. I watch your videos on your website of your customers. What are they saying? What did they get out of this? And website products, I go read those reviews. We do when we go on Amazon, we read the reviews, we read the five stars and we read the two stars and the one star. I want to get that insight. So as I get the insight on my purchasing, I do the same thing on our guests. Now, the core question of your framework is obviously finding the becauses. What are some of the best strategies to create becauses? You ask really good questions <laughs> because there are 17 ways outlined in my yeah. book to create becauses. And they fall into three categories. One is systematic proof. I call it proof, right? Because that's what right. our becauses are, is these pieces of proof. And systematically, is there something you do in your company, a process, a way that you do it, a proprietary thing that you do? These are all systematic things that you do that are unique to you. Then there's Perceived becauses. This would be like a testimonial for an impressive client, statistics, and they're all outlined. All these things that make me perceive online reviews would be an example. I perceive you must be good. Just because I got a bunch of amazing testimonials doesn't mean I'm going to be good, but it gives me more certainty, which is the whole thing. We're trying to make our clients certain they're making a good call, certainty that they could then repeat to someone else. And the third bucket is created proof. It could be like a guarantee or a warranty or an innovation or something unique or function that your product does. So there's systematic things that you do that are better than your competitors. There's perceptions about what you do that other third-party people are saying you're amazing. An example would be social proof. And then there's proof that you create on your own. It's marketing or it's a, a new innovation that you've created. So there's 17 ways to create because in the book, there's case studies and videos for every single one of them for how do you do it? Examples of companies that have done it. I'm a big fan of a book should be a tool that is useful for someone to actually do this work. There are 44 case studies in the book of people using these techniques to close sales in really, really competitive markets of like real businesses, not just like fancy billion dollar brands, everything from a couple hundred thousand dollar businesses, the bigger to billion dollar brands, it's all included in there. Yeah. And you have them all itemized. It's really a good reference book. It's a good read through, get the premise of it. And then it's one of those things that you'll keep out on your shelf and you go back and revisit it on a regular basis. So whether you're talking about your extra value or your value added, your pricing structure, it could be your service differentiators, third-party credibility, your visual proof. You talk about size, locations, proprietary technology. You list them all on how yeah. to do this. You can do this internally and take care of it. So I got to ask you this. When you're not working 60 hours a week and you're not creating book, because we know how much work goes into it, what is that jury do for fun? 
I have a little hobby farm in Denver and I have four Nigerian dwarf goats. And do yoga. Yeah. These guys, when they were baby goats, they were the kind that they use for goat yoga. But when they get older, they're a little bit big for that. They're more like my pets. And I take them for walks around, you know, the the neighborhood and whatever. And all the neighbors know the goats and they love hanging out with them. I have ducks and chickens and bees. And so that's what I like to get out and do is hang out with my little, yeah, barnyard full of animals. Oh, I like animals more than people sometimes. We all have superpowers and you definitely have one yourself with your ability to identify and then extrapolate and expand concepts to help businesses, whether they're B2B or B2C. What's your superpower? You get to brag here. What are you amazing at? And let me just say your content, your online courses, you're very thorough. So as a fellow colleague, professional, I'm inspired by the quality of your work and your generosity and what you actually give away. And yeah. people will we'll have all that information in the show notes as well, because I know you got a special promo for people who are interested in buying the book as well. But what's your superpower, Jerry? My superpower is taking complicated things and making them simple so that everyone can do them. I have literally distilled what billion dollar brands do and every other successful company what they do to close sales in really, really competitive markets. And I say in my book, you know, a lot of books, they talk about Apple and Harley Davidson and Coca-Cola and whatever. You know what? We are not all Apple and Harley Davidson and Coca-Cola. My book is for the rest of us. The ones that need to close more sales this year than last year, need to get more referrals, operate in really crowded competitive markets, and we need to just make things happen. And I've taken complex things and made them so simple that everyone can do it. And I've given away everything. Like literally it's all given away. So for your listeners, if they go buy the book, which is, listen, you should. I'm a little biased, right? But it's actually a good book. When you oh, open it's it, on the, the should list. Chapter, it's a good, highly recommended. It, yeah. It took me three years to write it and I'm happy with it. And I'm a pretty bad critic of myself. But here's what I'll do. There's worksheets that I use when I work with small groups of CEOs, even who have not read the book. You buy the book, just email me the receipt and we'll put the email in in information or whatever. And I will send you the literal exact worksheets I use with these CEOs that walks you through the core four questions of the framework. And it gives you 20 different ways to create those because it gets you started. You can use the worksheets for you at your company and it'll get you rolling in the framework the same way I do with CEOs in, in workshops. So I'm happy to give that. And if you want to just buy it, it's available on my website, the worksheets. Yeah, the investment you've got for the single companies, small companies, small teams, or enterprise, all the information is there. So that's your superpower, your ability to distill things down to their simplest form. I think you may have got that superpower working for Coors when it comes to distillation. Why don't we wrap up with, there was a story you tell working at Coors, which demonstrates the power of because even though our competitors might be doing exactly the same things we're doing, but by changing a few things and the way that we present it really changes the game. And to seven figures and hundreds of millions millions of dollars in incremental growth. Why don't you share that story with us? Yeah. When I started working at Coors, beer was the sea of sameness. Everyone was doing rah-rah, funny ads, like rah, like partying and whatever. And none of the ads said anything really very much about the beer itself at all. And we came in from big brands. I came from Procter & Gamble and others from other big brands. And we said, well, gosh, can we use the same strategies we used on selling soap and paper towels and diapers? Can we apply those strategies to beer, which is such an emotional category? And so your listeners, I'm sure you guys have all heard of the Coors Light bottle with the mountains that turn blue and the can with the mountains that turn blue when it's cold enough to drink. I rolled those out. But before I rolled those out, We rolled out something else. It was called the Coors Light Frost Brew Liner Can. Now, this is a can 
that had a blue liner inside the can. And so you couldn't even see it, but we turned the inside of the can blue and it had this special liner. And I always ask my audiences, what do you suppose that liner does? And they're like, well, maybe it insulates, keeps it colder. And I'm like, no, here's the secret. The secret of the frost brew liner can is that every aluminum can ever made has had a liner in it. You can't put beer next to aluminum or it will corrode. So we put a clear liner inside the can since the beginning of the aluminum can. We turned ours blue and told you it existed. Look, there's a liner in there. And here's what happened. Coors Light hand sales. That year, flat light beer industry, we sold an incremental $100 million in cans because we turned the liner blue. Now, what I'm not saying is you should be misleading to your customers, but over and over, when I work with businesses, what we find is you already have a blue liner. You already have things you're doing different. You're doing special. You're doing better. And many times those things are your best kept secret. Where are they in your sales process? Those things that you are doing that are adding value to your clients and your customers, those things, ideally in your case, that are unique from your competitors, where are they in your sales flow, in your pitch, in your video, in your website, in your brochure, in your conference booth, however you go to market. And so we went on to then create multiple other innovations centered around the idea of Coors Light being colder and more refreshing, culminating with the bottle with the mountains that turn blue. And by the end, we were generating an incremental $250 million a year, year over year, because we did innovation to create new becauses. If you don't have good becauses, innovate listen, get insights from your customers, create new things based on their hopes and frustrations, the problems they're trying to solve. Those creations, those innovations are your becauses. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. The book is called They Buy Your Because, They Buy Your Because, and the website's theybuyyourbecause.com. We'll have all the information in the show notes. This was a real treat having you on board. Thank you for your generosity and sharing all these insights. And I know you're busy on the book promotion tour and uh, best of success with you. Thanks for sharing all these great insights with our listeners. Glad to have you. Thank you. Appreciate it. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.